0: Alright, good morning church. Awesome, I'm coming through. Good morning. Uh, first of all, I would like to say I did not just wander into the Falls Creek cabin. I was invited. Um, that can be a bit of a security risk at times. But I thank you so much for the opportunity to come and to preach and to be in God's Word with you this morning um, above all else. Because that's, that's why we're here. We are here to bear witness to God's Word, to worship Him, to reflect upon what He is doing in our lives And I am just very, very grateful for your willingness to hear and grateful to Him for giving me that opportunity. So I'm very much looking forward to this morning. My wife, Sally, and I have been very excited for a couple weeks now. Um, And it has been a bit of a whirlwind of a couple weeks, and we'll get to that because even that part is a part of our testimony. And I would like to begin getting to know each other a little bit, uh, sharing my testimony, sharing what God has done in my life, um, from the beginning of me following him. And like many of us, um, I had the opportunity to be raised in a Christian household. Uh, my father was saved. My mother grew up in a Christian household and grew up as a, as a Christian, gave her life to Christ very young. Uh, my father did not and did not grow up in a Christian household. And that is a part of my story as well as we continue that legacy. But he came to Christ and came to know his grace and salvation when I was a baby, um, at 28 years old, so about about where I'm at, about two years off, um, I am 26, but we, after that, my siblings and I had the opportunity to be raised in a household built on scripture, household founded in the church, founded upon grace, uh, seeing that grace in the love and the discipline that was given in our household, sometimes more towards my little brother than me, but that's okay, we'll get to that. I think they're watching this morning, so they'll get a laugh out of that. Um, but raised in a Christian household, I mean, my parents have been le- like, teaching Sunday school for 15 years now. My dad's a deacon in the church I grew up in. So that's my background. But if you ever need proof that you are not saved on your parents' faith, I am a great example of that. Um, whenever I started recognizing and being aware of God and becoming of age to begin to think of those things, I did not follow the legacy my parents gave me, but I went the polar opposite direction. And I remember about 12 to 14, I just became belligerently rebellious. I mean, anything. It was anything from give me your phone because you're doing stupid stuff to do the dishes, and I would just explode. I mean, zero to 100 really quick. And that anger just started growing in me. That pride just started growing in me more than ever. And at 14 years old, I was at this place where I hated God. There's no reason. I grew up in a great household. I have no big trauma in the closet that caused me to be angry with God because of how I was raised or anything that had happened to me. But because of my sin, because of that sin that I was born into, I fully recognize that I despise the one who created me. And that's a weird thing for a 14-year-old to recognize. It's a weird thing for a 14-year-old to grasp onto. And because of that hatred so present in my life, I, I hated my parents. And that rebellion came from my hatred of God. I didn't just hate my parents. I hated my church because they did such a good job of representing the one that I despised that I began to bully. I began to push away. I began to hate those around me. I mean, I was that kid at VBS that was just a nightmare. And growing up in youth group, I mean, at Falls Creek, sneaking off. At Falls Creek, being late to stuff on purpose, um, picking on kids, pushing kids away that wanted to show me grace, and all the while, which is amazing, my parents still loved me, which their parents, but there's more to it than that. They didn't grow bitter towards me, they showed grace. My church, the adults, the students who grew up with me showed me grace and showed me love. And at 14, I was sitting at a D Now, at a Disciple Now in November. I and mean, it was a weird year. There were a lot of earthquakes. It was that year, if you remember it. Um, but I was sitting in D Now in worship, and our theme that year was the sovereignty of God. And who God is as our king. So I remember vividly there was this throne on the stage. These lights shining on the throne. And we're in worship recognizing that. I mean this it was kind of illustrative. The band wasn't on stage. Because our focus was the kingship of Christ. And me at 410 I was like I don't recognize him as my king. I don't recognize him. I recognize God existed. I just hated him. I, I didn't recognize any of this stuff. And then in worship these thoughts started crossing my mind of, these people love you. I'm going to start tearing up. These people love you. Your family loves you. Your king loves you. And I was like, he's not my king. And then it hit me and the spirit struck me down. And I recognized, he's my king whether I recognize it or not. It's either I can be rebellious or I can be faithful. And my rebellion has a consequence. And my faithfulness has a blessing and a purpose and a life and all of these things that i was lacking as a depressed lonely angry teenager i realized that i can keep going the way i'm going and it will continue down this path of nothingness for my entire life or i can give my life to the one who created me the one who loves me my king and have everything that i was lacking and it was one of those stories one of our students this morning recognized that of like She came forward crying. Everyone around there was crying. And at 14, I did not show emotions. And sometimes I still get that way. Did not show emotions. And I was bawling in worship that night. And I gave my life to Christ sitting there. And then the following Sunday, during the D-Now Invitational time, which we'll see in the second with False Creek, um, Pastor asked us to all come down if we made a decision. I came down. And I was crying so hard that Sunday. And the recognition that I now have purpose, that I now have a king, that, I, well, I had a king, but I was now being faithful to my king, that I now was one of the family of God. I was crying so heavily on the front row of that church that my pastor did not introduce me because he did not think that I wanted to be embarrassed, and he was right, but I wanted to tell people that I had given my life to Christ, so a couple weeks later, I was baptized, and it was such a traumatic experience for me, understanding being broken by the Holy Spirit Because that's the only way that I was ever going to give my life to Christ was if I was destroyed. And in my pride, in my arrogance, in my hate, in my anger, He broke me so I could experience His love. And... What I love about testimonies is they don't stop with salvation, but they are just the beginning. And I will shorten it so we can get to the message this morning. It was about a year later at Falls Creek that I had the opportunity to lead. Some random kid that a girl knew from a different cabin had the opportunity to lead him to salvation and pray with him. And he left a note on our cabin the next day that he had actually given his life to Christ later that evening in his cabin. But on the way back from sharing the gospel with him, I was walking by myself back to the cabin it was about halfway through the week. I don't even remember the theme that week, but I do remember this this thought in the Holy Spirit speaking to me and saying, this is what I want you to do. And of course, as believers, this is what we are called to do. But it began to grow more than that of a call to ministry. Specifically, I would find out years later, student ministry and the passion that God has given me to see students grow, to see students experience Jesus like I had the opportunity to experience him and fight through that same anger and hate and everything before salvation that I had to see that light spark in them as the Holy Spirit bring salvation into their life. And I, I was called to that at Falls Creek, disobedient to that call, I would say, because I fought against it till I was about 18. And then my freshman year at OBU, again, this depression hit me, this, this melancholy hit me where I didn't, I, I just didn't want to do anything. And I realized I'm pursuing political science. I want to be an attorney. I want to argue for a living and, because I'm good at it. And I... Um, I realized I didn't want to do that anymore. I wanted to be obedient to what God had called me. And after about six people randomly and disconnected, friends and family were like, weren't you supposed to do ministry? I finally was like, maybe I was supposed to do ministry. And I changed my degree and my path. And I would say I started doing student ministry my freshman year um, locally within the church and with churches across Oklahoma and then vocationally after graduating. So been in ministry about six-ish years uh, I believe there's a small typo, but I've been doing ministry for about 10, faithfully. So that is my story. We, we are very grateful for this morning, um, and very grateful for the opportunity to be in God's Word with y'all this morning. We are a little tired. We were in North Carolina about two weeks ago, so we're happy to be back in the state of Oklahoma with our family and our Oklahomans. Um, but this morning, we are going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 1, starting verse 3, going to verse 7. And we'll get to that in a second while you're turning. Something that I am passionate about because of how my family, after I was a believer, raised me through my teenage years was parent discipleship. So I, my first experiences with discipleship, which my church did a great job of, was not necessarily in the youth group as much as it was around the kitchen table. So for me, discipleship is an aspect of everyday life of a Christian, especially our teenagers, especially our young people, in growing to look more like Jesus. And a lot of times we we visit this theme of discipleship without a definition. I will give you a definition at the end, because I want to get through that process with you. But I will use this word quite a bit this morning as we look at 2 Timothy's Timothy's relationship. There's only one. Timothy's relationship with Paul and also his family. So as you turn, as we get there, I want you to imagine this young man in the city of Ephesus. He's grown up, given his life to Christ. His grandmother, his mother has really invested their faith into their child. And then you see Paul come along and really invest in this young man named Timothy. But there's also another aspect of this that we don't mention much, but this young man was called to pastor of the church in Ephesus. And Ephesus was a very unique city in the Roman Empire because it is the place and the home of one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, which was a temple to Athena. The temple of Athena was massive, and it had traffic constantly. So this young man was not just called to pastor a church that was at odds with the well-established Jewish faith. It wasn't just he was called to pastor the church at odds with the Roman Empire, but he was called to pastor a church at odds within the own town that he was pastoring And ministry is hard. And ministry is not just hard for pastors, but also church members. And there are hardships that go along with the church daily. I cannot imagine what it is like to grow up, be about my age, and pastor a church that is so entrenched in one of the oldest religions at the time, and well-established and violent religions at the time, in its home-like city. So this is what he is going through. He experienced that loneliness, that hardship of ministry, and then he gets a letter one day. And he opens this letter, and it begins with the words, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by God's will, for the sake of the promise of life in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dearly loved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. And he opens this letter, and if it were me opening a letter from my mentor, my heart would just soar. I'm going through the hardships of ministry. I can't just call or text him because it's 65 AD. But he, he gets this letter and his heart just opens up. And then Paul begins in our passage this morning, 2 Timothy verse 3, and begins a thanksgiving, an encouragement, a reminder. As he says, I thank God, whom I serve with a clear conscience as my ancestors did when I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day. Remembering your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I recall your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I am convinced is also in you. Therefore, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear but one of power, love, and sound judgment. Let's pray, and then we'll break this down this morning. Father God, thank you for the opportunity to come and preach your word. I I pray that you bless the reading of your word. You do not allow us and our own prepositions to get in the way, but you allow us to hear it from you, Lord. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So in this passage, there are three elements of discipleship that I wanted to go through this morning. And discipleship being something that Jesus had with his disciples. We see with some of the prophets, some of the kings throughout the Old Testament. And then we see it in how Paul did ministry. Paul himself was discipled by a believer, by Barnabas for a short time. And also believers in the early church. And then he passes that on. And then he's apostle of Christ as well. He passes that on to Timothy. He begins to have these three elements that I believe, even now today, as we continue that legacy of discipleship in the church, need to be present for us to have growth, for us to have discipleship. And the first one that we see in verses 3 through 5 is this partnering together, this building a legacy together. You cannot have discipleship by yourself. And because of that, I do not believe that you can have evangelism by yourself. I do not believe that you can have outreach or missions or worship or church by yourself. And unfortunately, that has become a revolutionary thought. But discipleship has to happen by living life together. It is not just our Sunday school classes, which are fantastic resources, great times that we gather together to be in God's Word and discuss that with a community that we love dearly. But it is going outside of the doors. It is spending time together. It is living a Christian life together. And more than that, it can be within our own homes. As I experienced growing up, one of my fondest memories of growing up is being able to wake up, go into the kitchen to get ready for the day, and my dad would already be at work, and his Bible would be open on the kitchen table. And this was over and over and over. And what I didn't realize is that he was spending his time with the Lord, but he was spending his time with the Lord in a way that his kids would be able to see. My mother, the same way in how she worshipped, how she taught, how she reached out to others, they would do it intentionally, living life with us, their kids, so that we could see that and then emulate that and grow that. If it were me, and, or if someone were to come up to me and say, Weston, you are just like your dad in how faithful you are to the word, or you are just like your mom in how faithful you are to serve the church and to serve its people, that would mean the most to me, personally, because that is what I am trying to be That is the people who discipled me the most. They are the people that discipled me the most. And I strive to be like them as they are like Christ. So we see that here with Timothy as he is striving to be like Paul. Paul himself says, I remember my ancestors who led faithfully before, and I now try to be like them so that you, my son, my spiritual son, will be like me, just like you're like your grandmother, you're like your mother, and you continue the faith that they had. There is a legacy there that we as Christians can connect to, that we as Christians can bind ourselves to and say, I am just like the ones that come before. As FBC Enid, you have a legacy. This church is a old, well-established, and faithful church. And you remember people that I will never know that lived for, that taught your Sunday school classes, that led you in VBS, that took you to Falls Creek. And you remember those people. You remember your parents, who prayed faithfully over you to come to Christ, celebrated with you, sometimes baptized you, and you look at their faith and you say, I want to be like them as they were like Jesus. And the only way I can do that is by investing in other people and being faithful in the word of God. So we ask ourselves, how are we investing in others? How are we discipling others? But also not forgetting how are we ourselves being discipled actively? Discipleship is not just something for student ministry. Disciple is something for the church. We can never stop growing. And the second thing is that the element of discipleship that is necessary to be present to see successful discipleship, see effective discipleship, is praying together. Is praying in your own time, in your quiet time, of course, but spending time praying and encouraging one another. Paul here is saying that Timothy's gift was affirmed and given by a laying on of hands. He's reminding him to be prayerful in pursuing his gift and being encouraged and discipling, reminding him to be praying as his grandmother and mother had prayed for him. Pray for your church. Pray for those you disciple. Pray for yourself and reminding and encouragement. The calling of Timothy was confirmed by a laying on of hands. And the application here is very simple. is a living church. Excuse me. A praying church is a living church. And discipleship without prayer is friendship, which is good, but it is not intentional. Discipleship requires prayer, and a church that is alive, a church that is growing, a church that has purpose is a church that has prayer. And the third point, and I'm trying to make sure I'm mindful of time, because we do have a lot this morning. But the third point is that discipleship, an element that is necessary in discipleship, is a pursuit of God. A reminder that young in ministry, I am young in ministry, but early in ministry. Um, I had to remind myself, it is not my job to build a community. It is my job to build the kingdom of God. As Christians in discipleship, we are not building our friend group, we are not building our Sunday school classes, we are not building our youth group, we are not building our church. We are our church. We are building the kingdom of God in where he has placed us. Here, Paul reminds Timothy that he did not give us a spirit of fear, but he gave us a spirit of power, love, and sound judgment. He empowers us, and he is our focus. The focus of discipleship, just like evangelism, just like missions, just like worship, just like anything else that we embrace within the church, the focus of discipleship is the pursuit of God and the pursuit to be holy like God to pursue his righteousness and embrace and be clothed by his righteousness. We remember in salvation, we do not stand before God and say, God, look at everything that I did. I was a great youth pastor. We had a great church. We had this many kids. Our goal in, in heaven is not, in eternity, is not to stand before God and say, I was there every day at church. I went to Falls Creek for 26 years. I did all of these things for you. But we're, we were reminded in Scripture, he'll look at us and say, I never knew you. But our goal in eternity is to stand before God and to say, I am clothed in your righteousness by grace through faith because you saved me. I confess with my mouth that you are Lord and I believe in my heart that you have risen from the dead. I have repented from my sins and I follow you faithfully. And as we are saved by that in salvation, we also grow in that in discipleship to become more like him. Discipleship is Christian growth together. is embracing that, reminding each other of that growing Growing with each other through that thought, reminding ourselves we are not here to build our own community, but we are here to build the kingdom of God. And out of everything, I love missions. Missions is necessary for a growing church. I love evangelism, I love and adore local outreach. But for me, the thing that I am most passionate about is seeing discipleship flourish in the church because I believe everything else that we love flourishes because discipleship is present within the heartbeat of the church itself. We are investing in each other so that we can go out. We are praying for each other so that we can go out. We are pursuing God together because we have a common faith, we believe a common word, and we follow the one and only king and creator of every single one of us. We have faith in Jesus Christ and it is that focus that we carry into discipleship. And if Dakota and the team want to come on up here, as I close, I want to give you that definition of discipleship. I believe based on Scripture, based on what we talked about this morning, what we see throughout the Gospel, that discipleship can be defined as the people of God living life together in prayer and pursuing the holiness of God to grow to be more like Jesus. For me, that is the clearest definition. We throw these words out all the time. And something that I had to learn early on is that people can't follow you if you don't give them a definition of things. So for me, how I operate is this baseline of discipleship. But I believe that this is necessary and commissioned to the church because of what Jesus said at the end of Matthew 28, 18 through 20. All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. So based on the commission that Christ has given us, church, I give you these three things. Partner together, pray together, pursue God together, and go and make disciples. Thank you so much. Let me pray, and then we'll move on. Father God, thank you for the opportunity to be here. I thank you for the opportunity for every single one of us To be here, to be in your word, to partner together, to worship together, to be together, to fellowship, Lord. To reflect upon what you have done in our lives, reflect upon what you are doing in this church. As we recognize your holiness and your sovereignty, as we go throughout our day and go into this week, I pray that we serve you, I pray that we are blessed in doing so. In your name I pray, amen.